Thank you. Yes, the little numbers are going round. Excellent. Uh, you know, I was, I, I've been thinking seriously about getting some, some of this fancy electronic sort of stuff. And uh, I went into a, a, a shop and, uh, uh, you know, you, you ever wondered how you, how you find the person for the right thing to that? I went up to the, uh, the shop, the counter, and I said, could I speak to the resident geek, please? And, and sure enough, there was one there, uh, full of all sorts of information that I couldn't understand and advice that I didn't need, but uh, I'm still, still looking at it. Please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. As we continue our travels through the Gospel of Luke, we'll be looking at Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 4. Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 4. This appears to be in uh, the, the verses we'll be looking at, Luke 12, 4 to 12, somewhat a, a disjointed... Pull something out? Which bit? Somewhat disjointed and uh, a little difficult to understand, but... Having looked at it, there is a consistent thread which runs through these verses. And so before we go any further, let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask now you might open our hearts and minds to your word. Father, we place ourselves in your hands, knowing you are the fount of all wisdom and all truth. And we look for you to lead, to guide and to teach. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 4 of Luke chapter 12 And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. Yes, those who can kill the body, but after that can do nothing. I'm, I'm reminded here of the, the story of, of an Aussie soldier in World War One, And he's there in the trenches and is surrounded by the mud, the blood and the rats and the and the constant shell fire and the sniping and everything's happening to him and, and some immaculately dressed pommy officer comes along and starts to tell him off because he's not the sort of soldier he should be. And he looks at it and he says, and looks at to him and says, and if I don't, what are you going to do? How are you going to punish me? I'm in the worst place in the world. You're going to put me in a nice warm jail where they feed me regularly and people don't shoot at me? How can you possibly punish me worse than I am now? And that, in a way, is what is being got at here. When, when those, there are those in the world who would threaten death to Christians. So... Is that the worst they can do? Is that the worst thing that can happen to you? In fact, Paul in, in, uh, in 2 Corinthians, when, when uh, you consider the, the, the question of death, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8 
He says, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. For, you know, and in Philippians uh, chapter 1, Paul didn't consider death a punishment, he considered it a promotion. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 2, no that's not, that's not a 1, that's a 12. So uh, Philippians chapter 1 verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He considered death not a punishment but a promotion. So Jesus says to his disciples, don't Fear those who can kill the body. Because when that's been done, that's all they can do. They've they've done as much as they can. Uh, You know, I I heard some stories about uh, one of the the popes when he got upset with his his predecessor. He he had the body dug up and, and put on trial and hung and excommunicated after this guy had died. And you think, yeah, I'm sure that upset him a real lot, the fellow who was already dead. I, when you're dead, what can they do to you? You're dead. And Jesus is saying, do not fear those who can kill the body and after that there's nothing more they can do. He says instead, there is one you should fear. In verse 5 he says, But I will forewarn you whom you should fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yes, I say unto you, fear him. Now there are some people who when they first read this would would suggest that that he's talking about the devil, about Satan. But no, 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 no. Have a look over in Revelation chapter 20. And we can see very clearly who he's talking about. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Revelation 20, 11, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose faith face heaven and earth fled away and there was found no place for them and I saw the dead small and great stand before God and the books were opened and another book which was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works and the sea gave up the dead which were in it and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them and they were judged every man according to their works death and hell were cast into the lake of fire this is the second death and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire and Jesus says yes fear him fear him fear God who has the power not only to kill you but after you have died to resurrect you and cast you body and soul into a lake of fire. That is whom you should fear. You say, fear? 
Fear? You mean we should be scared? Yes, you should. Fear is something which is not preached on too often. And we get this, you see the preachers standing up, you know, with the, they, they've got a frock on like mama and they, you know, they have these, these strange sorts of voices that they talk to you in and they're through their nose and they're saying, love and peace and love and, and fear never gets a mention. And I've heard these guys preach and I think, yeah, they're missing something. They're missing some fear. Is fear a suitable um, motive to come to God? Yes, it is. Loves are better, but fear will do. For in the book of Jude, it says in verse 27, sorry, verse 21, Jude 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Now there you go, there's love and there's mercy, but then he says, and of some have compassion, making a difference, others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted with the flesh. And Jude is saying, look, when you preach to people, when you teach them, Tell them of the love and the compassion and the mercy of God. If they won't listen to that, then try a dose of fear and pull them out of the flames of hell with a little fear, if that's what they'll take to listen to them. So so Jesus says here, don't worry about those who all they can do is kill you. Fear him who can not only kill the body, but put the soul into hell. Yes, I said, Sandy, you fear him. But then he goes off on, on, it seems on on a tangent, but mark me, there's a connection here. For he says in verse 6, Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? Anybody here old enough to remember a farthing? Right? I can remember seeing them. I can remember people who still had them in their coin collections. A farthing was about the size of a five cent piece, it was made out of copper, quite thin, and it was worth a quarter of a cent. Okay? A quarter of one cent. And here it says, are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? Now that means that a sparrow is not worth very much. They're pretty cheap. Now I don't even even know whether we're talking about live sparrows or dead sparrows. I'm, I'm assuming they're little birds in cages. But you could get five of them for two farthings in the markets and he says not one of them is forgotten before God not one sparrow does God forget so cheap so throw away but God doesn't forget them this is the same God who can cast into hell And what I think he's trying to get at here 
is that God who has such infinite power to punish has an infinite power to keep and to care because he's the same God. He says in verse 7, But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you ye are of more value than many sparrows. And I think there's just a little touch of sarcasm in there. Don't worry, yes, you are worth more than a sparrow. Although sometimes I, you, know, you get the feeling that you're not even worth a sparrow. Sometimes, don't you? You know, life gets you down, things start to pile up on top of you, and you wonder, if I just sank into the concrete today, would anyone even notice? Uh, and he, God says, don't worry, you're, you're more valuable than the sparrows. Of course, if you talk to some of the greenies today, they'll say that humans and sparrows are of equal value. Uh, but God says, no, spar- people are more important than sparrows. But also, he says, even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, people now normally make jokes about you know, how it's easier to count some people's hairs than other people's hairs because there's not as many to count. But I want you to just notice something here. Doesn't say that the hairs on your head are counted. It says they're numbered. You know what the difference is between counting and numbering? See, for instance, if you lost four hairs this morning when you brushed your hair, not only does God know that you are four short of where you were yesterday, but he also knows that knows that the four were number 1,237, number 245, number 65,947, and old number 56. He knows not even not only the number of hairs on your head, but he has individually counted them. You think, doesn't he have anything better to do? In your case, no. He is that careful of his children. He takes that good care of you and watches you so intently and so carefully that he can take the time to count the hairs on your head. We think of God as a God of the infinitely big, but please remember he is also a God of the infinitely small and cares for every single one of his children down to the very hairs on your head. This is a God which can keep as much as a God that can destroy. This is a God which can preserve as much as a God that can punish. But now notice what he goes on to say. Verse 8, also I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. Here again, we have him presenting a comparison by means of opposites. Okay, this is what what he's going through. He's comparing by means of opposites. He's had... The father who is caring, compassionate, taking care, watching over, but in the same thing, remember that he 
is capable of punishment of those who disbelieve. And he says of himself that the Son of Man, if you confess the Son of Man before men, the Son of Man will confess you before angels. Okay, Romans chapter 10. Very familiar passage to most of us. Romans chapter 10 verse 8. But what saith it? The word is nigh even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For scripture says, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Therefore, we, as he says it back in, in, in Luke, whosoever shall confess me before men, him the Son of Man shall confess before the angels of heaven. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, if you believe in your heart that, that God has raised him from the dead, that he is your Saviour, Christ himself will stand up before the angels of heaven and say, this one's one of mine. The power to save before the angels of God and declare this one is one of mine. And yet, there is the opposite. There is the opposing side. This is, this is uh, you know, very much a, a, a lesson in two halves of one side and on the, what's the other side of that? What's the other side of, of, of the Son of God standing up before the angels of heaven and saying, He's mine. I bought him. What's the other side? Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Verse 21, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Ye that work iniquity. That's the other side of it. That's the other side. That those who are Christ, he will defend and he will proclaim his ownership before the angels of heaven. But those who in their hearts never knew him, he will deny before the angels of God and say, depart from me, all ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. Can you see the division being created here in this passage? The Father, able to preserve, able to condemn. The Son, able to confess and save. And able also to say, depart, all ye that work iniquity. Verse 10. And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth against, 
blasphemest against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. I don't think there is a passage in Scripture that has caused more confusion, more puzzlement, and more heartache and angst than this. Those of you who saw me start in the book of Luke have probably been sitting here waiting for me to get to this bit. Just so you can have someone explain what is going on here. Okay. There's a first important thing to realise here. You, to blaspheme the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, means that the Holy Spirit must be alive and must have a personality. Must be a person. There are those who would say that the Holy Spirit is an emanation, is a force like the wind or lightning or electricity that comes from God. You cannot blaspheme electricity. You cannot blaspheme the wind. You know, there's, there's a saying, uh, you, you know, it's better to light one candle than to curse the darkness. I have seen those who would blow out candles and then stand there and go, you stupid darkness. But the darkness doesn't care. You, know, you can't abuse a force. So this, first of all, is teaching very importantly that the Holy Spirit is a person. Not an, 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 an emanation or a force or a power, but a person. Now, for those of you who are fairly quick on your feet, you will have realised back a few weeks ago that Pastor was teaching about the Trinity and how all parts of the Godhead always work together in perfect coordination. Oh, look, here. Here is the same principle being found in the teachings of Christ. The Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit are all being involved here. Right? Working in perfect harmony and coordination. You, you don't get into heaven on a vote of two to one. You know, you don't have the Father and the, and the Holy Spirit going, oh, well, you know. no, it doesn't work that way. It's always three zip, whichever way it happens. In or out, it's 3-0. What does it mean to blaspheme? Did you know you can blaspheme people? You know you can blaspheme people? Have a look back over in, in uh, 1 Kings. 1 Kings. Okay. 1 Kings chapter 21. 1 Kings chapter 21, verse, starting at verse 13. Now this is a story about a, a wicked queen who, who plotted to steal somebody's land. That's actually quite irrelevant to what we're looking at here. I want you to look at verse 13, 1 Kings chapter 21. And there came in two men, children of Belial, that means children of, of the evil one, and sat before him, and the men of Belial witnessed against him, even against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth did blaspheme God and the king. 
And they carried him forth out of the city and stoned him with stones that he died. Isn't that interesting? You could blaspheme the king. Yeah. We think of blasphemy strictly as being something against God. What does the word mean? It comes from a, a, uh, a structure that basically means to speak against or to hinder with your words. To hinder with your words. Okay? Where are we here? Luke chapter 12. How did this thing all get started? Look back. Luke chapter 11. That's the one before Luke 12. Verse 14. How did this disputation get started? And he was casting out a devil and it was dumb. And it came to pass when the devil was gone, the dumb spake and the people wondered. But some of them said, he casteth out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of devils. He casts out demons through the power of Satan to hinder with your words. Blasphemy. When the Holy Spirit is working in hearts and minds and it is reaching people with the power of God's word and you refuse to accept it, more than when it's reaching into people's minds, when it's reaching into your heart and mind, and when the Holy Spirit is saying, you really ought to get saved. And you say, no, not interested. God, Satan, devil, Jesus, all the same, not interested. That is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And do you know why it can never be forgiven? Because while you have that attitude, you will never get saved. You will never know the grace of God. And therefore you can never enter heaven. In fact, you could say, people say, well, you mean that the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit stops people from getting saved? It's the only thing that stops people getting saved. Refusing to accept the power of God calling you to heaven is the only thing that keeps you out. And it cannot be forgiven while you have that attitude. When you don't have that attitude, there's nothing to forgive. To resist the word of God to te- the testimony of the Holy Spirit, to refuse to accept it, to turn your back on it. God doesn't cast you out, you cast yourself out. God doesn't cut you off, you cut yourself off from the grace of God. The power, what is the work of the Holy Spirit? Look over in John chapter 16. 
John chapter 16 verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the Prince of this world is judged. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. To reprove them of sin, righteousness and judgment to come. When they refuse to listen, they condemn themselves. Three messages here in this. The Father able to keep or condemn the son able to confess or deny the Holy Spirit able to call to woo to, to, to beg souls to come to God and able to empower those who he, who he reaches with the power of God there is no middle ground here There is no, as I said, there is no vote of two to one. You are either in one camp or in the other. You are either with the Father who will preserve and protect you through to glory, with the Son who will confess you before the angels of heaven, and with the Holy Spirit who will guide, empower, and give you what to say in troubled times, or you are on the other side where the Father will condemn, where the the Son will deny, and where the Holy Spirit will say, No, you you won't listen to me. This clearly sets out only two paths, only two places, and only two types of people. The question here is, where are we sitting? Which group are we in? Myself, I'm glad that I'm of more value than a couple of sparrows. I am glad that the Son of Man calls me his. And I am glad that the Holy Spirit works in my life. I wouldn't have it any other way. And you could offer me a million dollars to spend one night without that assurance and I wouldn't take it. I wouldn't sleep anyhow. It'd be too scary. What can the world do to me? How much can the world scare me? Scared Christians should be a contradiction in terms. The world can't hurt you. The world can rail against you, but at the very end, all it can do is promote you home to glory and to God. That's the worst it can do. The the Father has counted the hairs on your head. The Son of God confesses you before the angels in heaven 
and the Holy Spirit empowers you, what more do we want or need? There is everything provided for us. However, if you have not accepted Christ as your Saviour, you have no security. You have no hope. For the Father in heaven says, not one of mine. The Son before the angels of God says, not one of mine. And the Holy Spirit in your heart says, you wouldn't listen. Where do you stand today? Where do you place yourself? And if the Holy Spirit today has been working in your heart and saying, time to listen up, time to hear, then confess the Son of God before men and experience the wonderful, caring, loving power of the Father in your life. Speak to me after church. Speak to pastor after church. Talk to somebody. If God is working in your heart today, do not let it go. Thank you.